It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's a sports, sports rush, rush with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are We are rolling through the work week. It is four down, one to go. Or if you're me, it's four down and we're out of here. I will not be here tomorrow. Shannon Griffith will be in my chair. It's the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rupp along with Adam Lundy, and we've got you on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Questions, comments, or suggestions, let us know what's on your mind at 46862. We kind of just live off the feedback from our listeners. So if you've got anything you'd like to add, we would love to hear from you. 46862, text the show. Don't be shy. Any questions about the NBA trade deadline? Purdue, Indiana, coming up on Saturday night. Those are the two big stories that we've got going on tonight. The Pacers hosting the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, we were joking earlier about Corey Joseph being traded from the Warriors to the Pacers. So he's probably already in town with Golden State. Wakes up a Warrior. Gets told that he's been traded to the Pacers. So he crosses uh, center court, goes over to the other locker room. And now he's been waived. Oh, man. It's hope, a tough, tough business in the NBA. Hope at least the Pacers got a game plan out of him before, <laughs> before. they waived him. Uh, but yeah, the Pacers sent second round pick and cash to the Warriors, pick up Corey Joseph, and then they waive him. So I, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where the actual advantage is in these kind of deals. If you're doing a favor for a team and hoping to get a return favor from, you know, later, I, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. But the Pacers. What, hopefully signing James Johnson? Yeah, that is the plan. Uh, Pacers are hoping to sign James Johnson tonight prior to their game against the Warriors, per source. It would be a rest of the season deal. Uh, the timing will be close with many moving parts. Of course, the Pacers are pretty active today on the trade deadline. They yeah. get Doug McDermott, uh, and he's filling the void left by Buddy Heald, who finally was traded. The Pacers have had... Buddy healed in trade rumors for, what, over a year now? Yeah, I mean... And him and Turner for a while. And then the Pacers decided they couldn't afford to be without Miles Turner. Right. But Buddy healed a shooter, is valuable. And so uh, there were teams looking to get an extra shooter. He ends up going to the 76ers. But in some ways, Buddy healed is replacing uh, a shooter. Well, Jaden Springer, not really a rotational shooter. But Buddy healed is probably would come off the bench right he's not going to start and i i don't think so i mean even with them beat out it's not like he's a center that can come in and just replace everything as you slowly <laughs> shrink down over there in oh your chair, my, my hydraulics have given up again you i'm sure sitting have. here i'm i'm looking almost directly up at adam as my chair is now almost <laughs> to the floor uh but yeah so the nba trade deadline biggest name on it i don't know do we 
We don't really have a star. No stars, no all-stars. I mean, there's a few recognizable names that have been moved. Boyan Bogdanovich going to the Knicks. Yeah. With Alec Burks. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Gordon Hayward. People in Indiana know him from his run at Butler. Sure. But uh, overall, kind of just a, a middle-of-the-road trade deadline, I would say. Kind of just role players for role players type uh, deal. Maybe one of the big surprises are deals that didn't get done because yeah. we all kind of thought Golden State, maybe this was the time they were going to start disbanding and breaking up the band. And uh, you really haven't seen it yet. We haven't, no. Other than this small getting rid of Corey Joseph. Clay for, Thompson. There were some rumors yeah. surrounding Clay Thompson. Andrew with, Wiggins. And Andrew Wiggins. And both of them remain. Uh, I, uh, What would the market be for Draymond Green? I, I don't know. I just feel like he he has his role there in Golden State. But it's just like, can he... Can he but is that, that role open with another team where they would make some type right. of an investment in picking up a Draymond Green? And obviously the Warriors are going to overvalue him because of the things that he's contributed to their organization. And, uh, you know, they. but the the stories that I was seeing was that Golden State was willing to depart or, or move anybody. Yeah. They would part ways with just about anybody on the roster not named Steph Curry. Might have just but, been asking too much, but, but who knows? And so Corey Joseph is the guy the Pacers jumped on. <laughs> now, that may have been when they talk about Wiggins. Now, yeah. maybe there was a question. What about Wiggins? And that's where Sharania got the uh, the tweet that the Pacers have interest in Wiggins. Yeah, they may have asked the question if they were in conversations with Golden State. But uh, Corey Joseph to the Pacers. Corey Joseph then waived by the Pacers. In fact, that's been kind of the practice today. We've seen three or four players that got traded and then waived. Uh, for instance, the Raptors are going to, uh, they pick up Spencer Dinwiddie, but then they're going to waive Spencer Dinwiddie. Yep. Uh, we we talked about Corey Joseph, and I think there's a couple of others today that, that yeah. got picked up and waived. Uh, Pistons are waving Daniel House. Right. They picked him up uh, on a deal with the 76ers, but... Uh, yeah, the Bucks they trade uh, Robin Lopez to the Kings, but then Lopez will be expected to be waived and become a free agent, too. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of that happening. So I'm not exactly sure if that's just shifting of dollars in salary cap to try to free up space, maybe to sign somebody or to yeah. try to go get somebody else. But kind of just odd the way that works, yeah. that you trade for somebody that you have no intention of keeping. Yeah, and it's just like, are you doing a favor, or are we just clearing up salary <laughs> yeah. cap for the other team? It's just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe, I, I really, I mean, maybe Joseph comes, Pacers are working on another deal, and with Joseph, he gets he gets to the Pacers, and the Pacers have to make a decision. Do they sign the next guy and, and relieve Joseph of his salary to get the other guy? I Because that may be where the money came from for James right. Johnson, and maybe the Pacers decided, look, Johnson's available. We don't really need Joseph on this roster. And uh, maybe we sign the free agent with that money. But uh, a lot of moves today, but not any big marquee moves today in the NBA trade deadline. So it is what it is. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Let's go back to what we were talking about with Kent Sterling and talking about last hour in the show about matching up the Indiana starting five with the Purdue starting five and then determining if they were both in high school, taking, taking every player back to their senior year when they were being recruited. Is there any player that is on Purdue's roster that you would have taken at that point, at that point in high school, over the Indiana Hoosier? And now you go to the matchups, Braden Smith versus Gabe Cups. 
Gabe Cups was a much high, higher sought-after recruit. In fact, Braden Smith uh, didn't have a ton of options and was more of an athlete than a basketball player. Purdue saw the value in him, and it was not that far away. And so they had a chance to see him maybe a little more often than some other schools. But clearly, Gabe Cups was the more sought-after recruit when he was a senior in high school, much more so than Braden Smith. And so that seems to be clear. Uh, you talk about the two guard, Trey Galloway, Fletcher, Lawyer. Now, Lawyer may have been, to Kent's point, may have been a little more of a glamour pick, although I remember when Trey Galloway was being recruited, that was a big pickup for Indiana. A good Indiana basketball player with strong roots, a coaching coach's uh, kid, and uh, I, I don't know one way or the other. Now, I remember... And, People that know me have uh, can testify that I said this, that I said, uh, I'm not sure about Lawyer going into the Big Ten because he doesn't have the body for a Big Ten, and I think he's going to get out-physicaled when it gets to Big Ten play. And to his credit, he's been able to play Big Ten basketball. Now, I think last year he did run into a wall, and I think that physical play wore his body out a little bit, but he co- he's come back this year. I think he's stronger Maybe in better physical condition, but whatever the reason, he's been able to handle things better, been more consistent through this part of the season. And so I give him a lot of credit, but that's also part of player development. But maybe you went with Lawyer in that matchup. But clearly, Mbako versus Lance Jones, it's not even close. Mbako was one of the top recruits in the country, and all the biggest programs in the country were after him. Don't don't think about what they've done in college. Think only about what you would have known at the time they were a senior in high school. And then you look at the front line for Indiana, the, the two big guys, Khalil Ware versus Mason Gillis or Trey Kaufman Wren or Caleb First, any one of those three, you'd have taken Khalil Ware. McDonald's All-American, seven-footer. Clearly, you would have taken Ware. And then at center, Malik Renew. And I know <laughs> that he's a player of the year and might be the two-time player of the year in college basketball, Zach Eady. But when he was a senior in high school, he was raw. He was known basically as just a big man. That's it. <laughs> I mean, not a basketball player. A guy that had to develop his basketball skills uh, and he has developed athleticism. He's developed cardiovascularly, where now he can actually play 30, 35 minutes. Um, I mean, a totally different player now. But if you go back to when he was a senior and you put those two as seniors together, I, I don't think there's a question. You'd have taken Malik Renew. And that's kind of my point. Now you look at the teams, and here's Purdue number one in the country, and Indiana kind of struggling to stay at 500 in the Big Ten. And what does that say about player development? It's outstanding at Purdue. And it's the big kind of calling card for Mike Woodson, especially with recruits, that, hey, you come to Indiana, and we're all about your personal development. We've got Calvert Chaney on staff who's going to take time to work individually with you and develop your skill and get you ready for the NBA. And as a coach that's been in the NBA I know better than anyone what it takes to get to that level. And we're going to make sure you are ready and that you're doing things that are going to impress the NBA scouts. And you know, it, it, 
I, I mean, I, if it isn't happening or doesn't happen, and you got guys that are already much closer to the NBA than what Purdue is getting, and Purdue's having team success, and if Zach Eady ends up in the NBA, um, you know, what, what's that say about Indiana? 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 46862. Yeah, it just brings up a lot of questions about player development between the two universities. And obviously, Matt Painter is very good at getting a lot of talent out of less uh, predicted to be talented guys. Yeah, and develops them in a system where it's program first. It's uh, unselfish basketball. Everybody accepts their role. It It's just a different culture right now at Purdue. So the other night, we had a chance to see Roger Goodell speak to select members of the media. And when we say select, yes, they were individually selected to be part of the press conference because Roger Goodell would only allow the invited media guests to be part of his press conference this year. And, you know, that's a debate for another day. But I was thinking if you were commissioner, and I'm not talking to you, Adam, I'm talking to our listeners, but if you were the commissioner of the NFL, what is it that is just driving you nuts that you would say, we've got to change this immediately, this can't happen next season? Is it something to do with the television contracts? Is it the deal with Peacock? Is it playoff football on Peacock? Is it uh, game times, game days, the schedule? Is there a rule change you'd want to have? What is bothering you about the NFL that you feel like if I was commissioner, one of the first things I would do is I would address this. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought one of the rules that's overdue and being evaluated and maybe changed is the fumble into the end zone. I don't like the way that automatically gives the ball to the defense. And uh, I, I, I just I don't like that whole process. Uh, if, the, if the offense fumbles and it goes out of bounds just in front of the pylon, then it's the offense's ball wherever the ball was fumbled. If it if it goes out of the offense's hands and goes on the far side of the pylon, and it could be just simply a bounce and how that point of the football goes left or right, then it becomes the defense's football. And I'm like, it shouldn't make that big a difference if it goes left or right of the pylon. There's got to be a better way to, to solve that. And, uh, I mean, anywhere on the field. If the offense fumbles and it goes out of bounds, it stays the offense's offense's football. But if it uh, but if it happens to happen inside the five, where the offense has actually gotten themselves into scoring position, and then they fumble, now they actually pay the penalty of giving up the football. I I don't like that. I just think it's too punitive against the offense. They can fumble anywhere on the field near the sideline where it goes it goes out of bounds, and they keep the football. And to me, if you're going to do that. If you think that's a good rule, that the the offense fumbles, goes out of bounds in the end zone, belongs to the defense, then do it over the whole field. Do it over the whole field. <laughs> right? And everybody's yeah. like, oh, you can't do that. Well, if you can't do that, then why are we doing it when it goes across the pylon? And, you know, now if it stays in play, it can be recovered. But this is about a football that goes into the end zone out of play should the offense sacrifice the possession because of how that football bounced or where it went out of bounds i i just don't like it i i that that is one that i would change and you know i've got my way of changing offense keeps the ball it goes back to the spot of the fumble and then they maybe have a 10-yard march off or a 15-yard penalty or something where you know it is punitive against the offense to have a fumble at that point but i don't think giving up the football is the right right punitive penalty 
46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862. Give us your thoughts on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Still coming up this hour, Eric Dutkevich is going to join us to talk high school basketball, boys top five, and a girls regional preview. We'll also talk some girls regionals with Greg Rakestraw, who's going to join us next. That is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Dudecaps tickets now on sale. They went on sale this morning, so if you want to get to the ballpark this summer and get uh, take advantage of some of the big promotions happening with the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, you want to get to Parkview Field at the ticket office, or you can give them a call, or even shop from home online at tincaps.com. But those single-game tickets are now on sale for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps this summer. Well, uh, you almost could play ball this afternoon, really. I mean, I bet I'm, there might be a game in April that uh, that had colder temperatures than what we got right now. Just might be. Uh, let's get to the guest line because joining the program, of course, he is part of the IHSAA Champions Network. He is part of ISC Sports Network. He's part of the Colts Radio Network. Uh, you name the network. Greg Rakestraw is probably calling games for them, and he's joining us right now. I don't know how he's got the time, but we certainly appreciate it. Greg, good afternoon. Uh, it's good to be back with you, and if you, it makes you feel warmer, there will be college <laughs> baseball played in this state in less than 48 hours. <laughs> wow. Who's got the game? Is it Indiana? Uh, I think the D1s start next week, oh. I think. Um, and so the NAIA guys, they just play wherever, whenever. So <laughs> the guys from Marion and IU Columbus, and yes, they play sports at IU Columbus now, were supposed to head to Tennessee to play each other and play Tennessee Southern down there this weekend because of rain in the forecast. They'll be playing at Bishop Chatard High School, which has turf <laughs> and is a less than a mile from my house. So if you're on the north side of Indianapolis and you're jonesing for baseball, on Saturday or Sunday, it costs three bucks. Go see Marion and IU Columbus to get your college baseball fix this weekend. That is crazy. I remember my days. First of all, I was in high school. We were uh, dodging snowflakes when we were getting pounded by the DeKalb Barons, who had a great program back then under legendary coach Bill Jones. And then uh, in college, we had the Florida trip to get our season started. Then we came sure. home to Valparaiso to have our first home game. And there was about two feet of snow on the ground from the lake effect. And uh, I don't think we played another baseball game for like two or three weeks. That's that's life in the Midwest playing baseball, college baseball. Yeah, the fact that so many places have turf makes it a little bit easier. I've literally seen games over in Chittard. You know, the, the high school kids can't start until the last week of March. Mm -hmm. They can't practice until like the second week of March. And so Chittard does a lot of college baseball business because it has turf in February and March. So I've actually seen, I think it was maybe Ball State and Xavier one time. It had snowed like six inches the day before. They literally push all the snow up against the fence. And so you, had to, you weren't thinking about hitting the fence chasing a foul ball. You were about hitting a snowbank such as life playing baseball in the Midwest in the month of March. Yeah, that would be the Charlie Finley baseballs would have come in handy when you're playing. <laughs> the orange <in>. ones. <laughs> yeah, the orange balls. Uh, Greg Rakestraw joining us here on the Sports Rush. And I know, Greg, you cover a lot of high school basketball. How many girls games? Did you do a number of girls games this year? 
We do about between 10 and 12. Um, you know, we don't do as many of those on, on my indie TV. Thankfully, we've got one coming up on Saturday night. We're going to have Pike and Plainfield, the second game of the 4A regional uh, at Decatur Central. And I know that you know we have changed regionals to potentially mixed classes this year. It just kind of worked out that both of the 4A southern regionals are both at the same site. So all the teams go to Decatur Central and Central Indiana. All the teams in southern Indiana go to Bedford North Lawrence. So I'll see it back-to-back games on Sunday. What I have seen a lot of are Lawrence Central and Lawrence North, and LC is a great story. LC is playing in a girls' regional for the first time since 1987. It is their second regional appearance, so their only their sectional title was 37 years ago. They had not won a postseason game since 2001. Not a sectional a postseason game. Wow. But they have a, this remarkable group of four talented players, two juniors, two sophomores, two of them are sisters, the Lampley twins, mom, or not twins, or sophomore and junior. Mom played at Purdue. She was the 97 Big Ten player of the year. Uh. And all of a sudden, Lawrence Central has become a girls' basketball powerhouse. They're 26-1. and one. Their lone loss came to a team from Kentucky, and they may be the favorites to win an IHSAA state championship and they would return their top six scores next year. Wow. Uh, Greg, I want to ask you about a couple of the teams that our Fort Wayne area schools are playing, and let's start with Noblesville, because I think with the the difficulty of that sectional, it was probably one of the bigger surprises for Noblesville to get through the Fishers-Hamilton-Southeastern gauntlet back-to-back nights, and they were able to survive that sectional. What do you know about Noblesville? Noblesville has, has, has the Tipner kid who's really good. If I remember right, the Wilson kid is graduated. I have not seen Noblesville this year. They are not what they were two years ago when they won the state champs with Ashland Shade. I'm not sure what they, what they are, what they were last year when they won the Hall of Fame Classic. Um, Tipner, I think, is their star player, and she has a decision to make in a couple of years. She is also a phenomenal soccer player. Mm. And so is she going to go the soccer route or is she going to go – the uh, you know the, the the basketball route. I will say this: that sectional is always very good. It probably didn't have the overall talent that it has had in years gone by. the The highest rated team was Hamilton Southeastern, who's got Maya Makaleski, who's a junior that's going to play at IU. Her older sister Riley now is a freshman that plays at Butler. They were number one for a while. I saw LN beat them in mid January, and LN was about seven or eight. Uh, this year in, in, in terms of the state ranking. So it's not going to be easy playing Noblesville. Anna Buckley can really coach, but I also don't think that maybe that gap is, is you know, from sectional eight to everybody else is as large as it is in some years. Well, Noblesville does have a six-point win over Snyder earlier this season, but the Panthers 22-2 and two against 16-8 and eight Noblesville. Also at Marion to open it up, Homestead, who beat a Columbia City squad that, quite honestly, I thought this was the year for Columbia City. And uh, they had the experience. They had the senior starters. This is a very, very young Homestead squad under Rod Parker with four sophomore starters. And I know how excited he was after the game. We had a chance to talk. And uh, he, he thought this was right up there among some of the most memorable championships that he's won. And he's got plenty in his 23 years at Homestead. But uh, they knocked off Columbia City. And now they play uh, McCutcheon. And I, and I, 
I've been told, and I don't know much at all about McCutcheon, so I just take it for granted. Whatever somebody tells me, I believe is the gospel. But McCutcheon apparently has some real star player that is a big-time scorer. And she is a freshman. Her name is Lily Graves, and she is one of the best freshmen in the country. So you will be hearing about her over the course of the the next three or four years. She is a tremendous player. Um, And and McCutcheon, frankly, does not have a lot of great competition in their sectional. They got by Harris, and that's obviously a big rivalry game. Um, And and so I really think that regional is a bit of a toss-up. The Homestead result over Columbia City was indicative of, I thought, a lot of results around the state. There were a lot of surprises, frankly. Uh, on both Friday night and especially Saturday night. You know, Homestead beating Columbia City, and I had Columbia City when they won the Hall of Fame Classic and was very impressed by Addie Baxter and that entire team. Um, but but that I would consider that a surprise. I would consider the defending state champs down south and up in North Lawrence beating Jennings County, who had Julianne Woodard, who was kind of my pick for Miss Basketball going into the tournament, going to play at Michigan State. Jennings County beat them in January and beat them by nearly 20. And then BNL came back and got them by four points in the sectional championship game. There were a lot of results like that, you know, kind of 1A through 4A, where teams that were favored got knocked off, which means I think it really kind of opens the door uh, for, for a variety of different opportunities, say especially 2A through 4A over the course of the next three weeks. Have you gotten to the point where you have a class-by-class favorite? Well, um, 4A, I would say Lawrence Central. Uh, and again, they play a really good schedule. They have played a number of kind of showcase events, both in this state and elsewhere. And one thing they have intentionally done is they've tried to play in three or four different events where they would play twice in one day to get them ready for the semi-state, knowing they've not had significant postseason experience. Um, what LC is not is very deep. You know, all their points come from four players. If they if their bigs in foul trouble and of that you know big group of four, their front line goes five ten six foot six one. One of their bigs get in the foul trouble, they don't have to replace them. Uh, and, and so that would be my concern with them. I don't think Mount Vernon can get them in the regional round, but there's such experience in Center Grove, Bedford, North Lawrence, and Franklin, who two years ago were the runners up. I think LC will get a good test, if not two, in in the four A South semi state. In, in 2A and 3A, I think it is a lot more open, frankly. Um, and in terms of 1A, Lanesville is the defending champ. Lanesville has one loss. It's the same team that literally beat them a year ago in Memorial of Evansville, who is a good-ranked team that got beat by Gibson Southern. And, and, and Rump, I may be a little biased <laughs> in that prediction. So. Since that happens to be my hometown, and I have several yeah. relatives playing on the team. Yeah, so I thought I thought it's interesting. The one class that he has a very distinctive favorite, it happens yes. to be Lanesville. Isn't that amazing? I may or may not have a letter jacket from that school <laughs> in my possession. So that, that there is a disclaimer there. Uh, hey, coming up Saturday, we'll see each other down there at the state fairgrounds. So tell me, IUPUI, uh, how are the Jaguars right now? What do the Dons have to look forward to? Well, frankly, the Dons were, were their high point of the season uh, for IUPUI uh, when they won back in mid-January. Uh, it is one of two road wins against Division One competition in-state this year, the other one being Valparaiso. It is one of just two wins in league play for IUPUI, the other one being against the winless Detroit Mercy squad back on December the 29th. Um, IUPUI's three-point offense showed some sparks for a while. It has flamed out. They are now... 
the worst three-point shooting team in Division One at less than 26%, and they make the fewest threes per game at about three and a half a contest. What they did very well, as you know, against the Dons back in January, <laughs> they didn't shoot threes. They went three of five from three-point range. They also shot exceedingly well from the floor, 59%, uh, and they, they, they got the ball down to Abdu Sam in the low block a lot. They drove the ball a lot, which is something that IUPUI does well. So I guarantee you, after getting through Cleveland State last night, today and tomorrow, everything will be about make IUPUI shoot jump shots. Simply stop them from driving, stop them from posting up, and the Dons will have a good chance to uh, reverse that decision from three or four weeks ago. I know I don't have a lot of say when it comes to the coaches' room, but I did kind of just put a little word in one of the coaches' ears that uh, I said, you know, I'd consider, even though you don't play it often, I'd consider a zone against these guys. It'd be interesting The to Rim see. has played phenomenal defense on us from three-point range the last three years. I'd consider that too, Mr. Rump. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Looking forward to it. I'll see you down in the state capitol, down in your home uh, homeland down there on Saturday, and uh, we'll talk then. You got it, buddy. See you Saturday. Yep, that is Greg Rakestraw joining us here on the Sports Rush. Got to continue with our discussion on some of the regionals. Of course, we talked a little bit with Greg about Homestead Snyder, but we're also going to get – a breakdown of the teams that Woodland, Norwell, Fremont, and uh, and Lures, they've all got ahead of them. So we'll talk to Eric Dutukevich about it. Coming up next, it's the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Purdue Fort Wayne men's basketball coach John Coffin, and you're listening to the Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Go Dons! I'll be traveling with the Mastodons this weekend, so I will not be here tomorrow. Shannon Griffith, the coach, will take over as host of the Sports Rush tomorrow afternoon from 4 to 6 to get you into your sports weekend. Right now, uh, we got to talk Parkview Sports Medicine and Eric Dute, Dutekevich. He is joining us on the guest line. Dute, how are you this Thursday? Good afternoon. Just uh, making my way through town. It's been a busy week with a lot of different signings and, and different things going on this week. I was out at Wayne and Northside and Snyder yesterday, and a really good opportunity to see some, some kids uh, heading off to college next year, playing college football, college basketball, soccer, different sports. It's, it's really cool uh, with National Signing Day, and uh, pretty cool to see different kids from our area uh, making their college plans official. Uh, Eric, uh, we got to talk to you a little bit about the regionals coming up tomorrow. Uh, I don't like the schedule. I think I've made that abundantly clear because I used to think the old format gave us the best day on the high school basketball calendar when you had the morning, the noon, and the night game. I love that because I, I, I would often be at a Mastodon's game, so I didn't have to go cover three games in one day. But, no, seriously. <laughs> Seriously, though, uh, I miss that day. I really do. But we've got one-game regionals, and so yep. you look around the state, and it seems kind of odd when I look at the pairings and I see McCutcheon versus Homestead, Noblesville versus Snyder. Your assumption is, oh, and if Homestead and Snyder win, they could play each other. Well, <laughs> you know, it might be another week or so before you see that. But but let's talk a little bit about uh, about these matchups. I, I'll let you go ahead and start for you. We just talked to Greg Reichstraw quite a bit about these Homestead-Snyder matchups, so we don't have to spend very much time on this. But um, but give us a, a quick rundown of what to expect with Homestead and Snyder. Yeah, I think Homestead has been playing really hot. 
uh, you know, these two teams will be at the Marion Regional, Homestead and Snyder, uh, not playing each other. Homestead playing Lafayette McCutcheon, which is kind of an up-and-coming team. We talked about the freshman sensation they have, Lily Graves. But Homestead, a lot of sophomores, a younger team uh, that's cracked the top ten in 4A, playing really well. Maya Epps, 22 points versus Columbia City. I think, you know, the way that Homestead is playing in those close games, the confidence they continue to build, um, I just like this draw for them, or not draw really, but this matchup for them. Uh, with Lafayette McCutcheon. And for Snyder, uh, it's a rematch of, of Noblesville earlier in the year that Noblesville beat Snyder uh, at and, uh, you know, an opportunity to, to, to kind of avenge that regular season loss, one of two losses for the Panthers all year. Noblesville kind of hit a skid there midway through the year with some of the, the great teams that they played down in central Indiana, so 16-8. and eight number 13 really outside of the top 10 in 4A, Snyder up to number 4. I think Snyder, you know, gets it done. They've been playing hot, too, um, and eight straight wins since that Noblesville loss. Of course, Jordan Poole and, 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 and what she's been able to do, but the, clicking at the right time for some of the other girls, Nene Donahue, CeCe Sims uh, played big in the sectional, uh, and just a lot of good talent out there. Tia Finnessy, another one. So that should be fun down in Marion. Two quality games, four good opponents, uh, and two of them from the Fort Wayne area. It, it should be a fun one. I'll roll with Homestead and Snyder moving on to semi-state. Woodland takes on the giant Hamilton Heights, and uh, Hamilton Heights has been a successful program for so long. And for Woodland, kind of, I don't want to say an upstart, but but a team that doesn't have the same kind of tradition. Yeah, absolutely. This is going to be a tough task uh, for the Woodland Lady Warriors. I, I was over at Woodland earlier this week. First sectional title in 34 years. Congratulations to Woodland. Uh, uh, and Dave Randall, their head coach, who used to be a boys coach at Woodland, won a sectional 10 years ago, now done it with the girls in his first year. But, you know, there again, they are a younger team that found success. They got the right draw in the sectional uh, and they take down that kind of that open sectional that was up at Garrett with Angola, Concordia, Garrett, and them. They make it through um, and go on to the regional. But, yeah, this Hamilton Heights team, number one team in 3A, 23-2. and two. you got to go all the way to LaPelle, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away from, mm. from Allen County and, and Woodburn. Uh, probably add another 15 minutes uh, since they are out in Woodburn. But, anyway, tough task for Woodland, a great Season. They've got Alyssa Anderson as their leading scorer as a sophomore, so she's going to be around. They've got a young team. This is just the start of something really cool out at Woodland. Uh, Norwell goes to Caston. I know the hopes for Norwell fans would they get they would get to play in the neighborhood and and play over at <laughs> Belmont, but instead they got to go to Caston to take on Benton Central, who's twenty five and three. What do we expect out of Norwell and Benton Central? Yeah, that's a really crazy part of all this, too, is where these locations are. I heard Greg Gregstraw in the previous segment uh, complimenting the, the selections in the south semi-state. Yeah. A lot of our teams in the Fort Wayne area are scattered everywhere, but Norwell goes to cast and faces Benton Central, a, a number seven team. Norwell has looked really hot, 20-4. and four. They're back here again. For Norwell, it's always can they take that next step. They've done that three or four years in a row. The next step for them is to uh, do it. You know, they got... Three really good players. They've got Kennedy Filling, who's 13 points away from the school record, 
upset by Jessica Rupright in 2012, this basketball back then. So they've got a really good team, a lot of seniors, eight seniors. So, you know, when you're, when you're a 3A team with eight seniors, you, you know, you have a really good chance to do some damage in, the, in, your, in your bracket. I think Norwell gets it done. It should be a close one. Benton Central, nine straight wins. But I think Norwell is another local team that breaks through to the semi-state. We uh, go to Class 2A, where the Bishop Bluers Knights now taking on uh, teams their own size after a very difficult schedule, 16-6 and six on the season. They take on a Lafayette Central Catholic team that I think knocked them off last year. Yeah, sec- yeah Lafayette Central Catholic won 59-50 to at the regional last year, the first year of that new format where it's a one-game regional. So the- actually, just looking through my... The history, it looks like this is only like the second time that these two teams have played each other. You think Lures and Lafayette Central Catholic, they play each other all the time in football, basketball. Girls basketball looks to be about the second ever meeting in a 2024 regional. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Lures, a really good year all year. They kind of slowed down there towards the second half of the year, and the SAC finished 5-4. and four, But I think that tough competition has helped them. They play a lot better competition in Lafayette Central Catholic, the, uh, this team has is is, is been there, done that with state championships in 15 and 16, going for their third straight regional are the is LCC. I think Lures gets it done. It's going to be a close one. Addie Shank, Annika Davis, the two seniors for that Lures team, I think they win the regional, take their next step, heading on to the semi-state as regional champs. Let's flip over to the boys' side, where we had a huge game earlier this week between Homestead and Wayne, and the Wayne Generals got it done, and now Wayne in the driver's seat, cruising their way toward what should be an SAC championship. But let's see where that leaves us as far as our top five this week, because Dude is ready, and we are ready. So let's go ahead and start with the boys' top five at number five. Number five, we find the Southside Archers. Now, this is not a power poll as far as best teams in the area, but what a week it's been for the Archers. They knock off number two, Bishop Lures, at home. Big SAC title implications in there, too, because Lures was still kind of in that hunt. Uh, Two straight wins, and now three of the last four for Southside. Of course, emotional week with the loss of Mm -hmm. Jaden Morris, the St. Francis football player, wearing blue out, and, and really uh, a really solid team. This team, a lot, two freshmen leading the way, Javon Irby, K.J. Alexander, watch out for them because those guys are some playmakers that you're going to see in football and basketball for the years to come for Southside. They get number five for the first time in the season. Number four. Number four, the Lakeland Lakers. We go way up north to LaGrange County to find Lakeland at number four this week. Six and one in the NECC. They're holding serve there. Six straight wins. Eight of their last nine have an opportunity to win the conference title. Uh, first place implications tomorrow night with, with Central Noble should be a good one up in the NECC. Um, and uh, exciting games down the stretch for that conference. And really good teams north of Fort Wayne uh, to be looking out in Class 2A and 3A as we near the tournament. Number three. Number three, we have the Adam Central Flying Jets. Yeah. You know, the last month or so, a couple weeks, maybe more of the just Jets, maybe not the Flying Jets that we've seen all season long, but uh, they, they, they 
took a couple L's in there, but they're back on the right track. Still 5-0 and in the ACAC. They have clinched a share of back-to-back titles. Uh, they can go out. There's a few more games. Uh, I think tomorrow they can win it outright uh, against rival South Adams. Isaac Schultz has looked great for them all year. Uh, this is a team that's in the top ten in 2A and uh, really looking to, or 1A, I should say, looking to make a, a deep run this year as well. Number two. Number two, the Columbia City Eagles. A big win Saturday afternoon against Norwell. Both teams were two of three teams in first place of the NEA, so they give Norwell the loss. They maintain their first place position in the NEA, along with Belmont, who they beat earlier in the year. So they have an opportunity to move forward uh, tomorrow night to get their first conference title since 2006. Uh, 16, I should say. Um, Columbia City really looking good, really hot right now. Six straight wins. Uh, this team is looking really good and, and a fun team to watch at that. Here we go. It's the number one team on the top five this week. Number one, the Wayne General. Shocker, 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 shocker. You know, we're not shocked by it at this point. You know, they continue to look great. They beat the Homestead on Tuesday to get in the driver's seat and stay in the driver's seat in the SAC. Of course, we they beat uh, Lures last week as well. Eight straight wins for this general team, just averaging over 69 points a game. So they like to score. Plus, now they got, you know, we talked about Javon Lewis, Jr. Now they have Chase Barnes back, uh, who is an extra weapon on that team. This Wayne team is, is, is poised to go back-to-back in the SAC for the first time in school history. they got to beat Southside tomorrow to clinch a share, and they got Concordia next week. Uh, a really good team, quietly under the radar across the state, but I think we finally know how good this team is in the Summit City. All right, dude, tell me, what is the latest that we need to know about Parkview Sports Medicine? Yeah, with the... Uh, Winter season wrapping up and some of the sports ending, JV getting done, some of the teams getting losing out of the postseason. Uh, maybe a time to just where people are off of their sports and just need to get some sports performance training through our – we invite people to check out our PSM Performance Edge program. It's individualized training that will maximize your athleticism, get you better at your sport at whatever level you're in, and, and help you on that path to becoming a better athlete for more information, including to get a free consultation with our performance staff, log on to parkviewsportsmedicine.com slash edge and earn your edge today. You know it. Uh, you know what they say. If you just got beat in the sectionals, next year starts now. Absolutely. And it's a great way to start by getting in with PSM Edge and, and seeing how we can help you there and, and benefit not just on the court, but you know, just as yeah. an athlete overall. Yep, absolutely. Dude, always appreciate you. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again. Yeah, take care. Yep, that is Eric Dutuchkevich joining us from Parkview Sports Medicine. We'll take a time out, come back, put the wraps on this Thursday edition just ahead of the high school coaches show coming up at 6 o'clock. You're listening to the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Pacers hosting the Warriors tonight down in Indianapolis. Cambridge Fieldhouse will have the broadcast for you coming up right after the high school coaches show. Of course, a lot of our teams heading into regional action on girls basketball with Homestead, Snyder, Norwell, Bishop Lures, all hitting the road. You've got Fremont and Woodland still playing. 
Uh, best of luck to all of our teams that play this weekend in the girls basketball regional. Get out there at the regional, win one game, claim a title. What a what a day it is for high school basketball. I don't like it. Don't like it. Like the old format, Adam. Got to admit, back in my day. Back in my day. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, best of luck to all of our girls' basketball teams. And if you want to get previews of that and more, Justin Kinney hosting the High School Basketball Coaches Show. And that comes up next. I'm out tomorrow. Shannon Griffith will be here to fill in on the Sports Rush. Get you all set for your sports weekend and Super Bowl weekend. How about that? You know where the Super Bowl can be heard? Right here. Well, I better be here. I'd be in a lot of trouble with our program director. Yes, we have the broadcast coming up on Sunday. Thanks to Kent Sterling, Greg Rakestraw, and Eric Dute Dutkevich for joining the show. Have a great Thursday night. This has been the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.